Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Thank you for joining us on this week's edition of Utah Weekly Forum. I'm your host, Rebecca Cressman, and it's been an extraordinary couple of years with the pandemic and the demands on health care, in addition to the demands on therapists and psychologists. And, and it's already, what I would say, a very complex job to be a therapist. Joining us today is Dr. Denise Lash. She's the Director of Therapy for Intermountain Healthcare. And as I say that, it's a complex position. Uh, Denise, is that a fair description of of the the role of a therapist? Uh, yes. First of all, thank you for having me. And I would describe it as complex. You know, one thing about being, um, I think, in the mental health field or just healthcare in general is that your job is a profession and a service. And at times, you know, it can feel more one way or another. Um, and then, of course, just dealing with people's you know very raw and vulnerable needs. Um, certainly makes the job more complex. Well, and we're going to talk a bit about that. And, of course, many of those who are listening right now are not therapists. They're not counselors or social workers. Some of them are, indeed. And and I would also just say that it feels like what we're going to be discussing today would be applicable to most of us. This has been a psychologically challenging period of time, Denise. Yeah, I absolutely agree. When I think about some of the causes of burnout for therapists, there definitely are some overlap with what are causing burnout really in the public at large. Well, let's talk about that, okay? What are some of the different factors that are influencing therapist burnout right now? Well, I think it might make it might be simplest to go through this chronologically because I think the burnout over these past two years the causes of that have varied some, depending on what time of the what period of the burnout we're talking about. So when I think about the early days, which I always just think about as the quarantine, you know, that first spring of 2020 when many things are shut down and people are homeschooling slash distance learning their children um, and just a lot of very rapid change. Uh, the cause of the, uh, the complications that caused our work then, you know, is different from now. So when I think about those first, you know, three months or so, um, you know, certainly some of our causes of increased work stress would be things that just anybody in the public was dealing with. So, again, that might be, um, you know, now having your kids homeschooled and dealing with that. It might be feeling increased isolation from loved ones you know, because we were all so scared of getting sick. And, you know, there's so much then we didn't know about the coronavirus. So that was just, you know, I think a time globally of great fear. So that certainly would add to our stress. And I know some individuals would feel nervous about going into work. 
Um, and, you know, and, and how people felt about going to work, I think, would vary the therapist depending on their workplace. So those of us that worked as an outpatient clinics where it's all, you know, therapists and psychiatrists, uh, some of them could work from home. Some of them would be doing a mix of at home or virtual. Some would be doing, um, you know, in in-person visits, depending on what the patient needed. And there was a lot of different stressors associated with that. So I think, you know, maybe healthcare-specific stress might have just been you're dealing with a number of people coming in and out. And again, going back to the fact that we didn't know what we didn't know about the coronavirus other than it was highly contagious and could often be very serious, that could be a cause of stress. Just, you know, who am I dealing with? Who have they been in contact with? But the flip side, the virtual visit would also be a source of stress for some. And again, I think this is something that everybody will relate to that, you know, spring of 2020 was this intense crash course in visual platforms. And, you know, I've only, throughout my career, I've only worked in big healthcare systems. And so infrastructure, you know, bandwidth is something we always are keeping an eye on. But, you know, I don't think any healthcare system in America was expecting to have to make this abrupt shift to virtual visits. And certainly at Intermountain, we weren't either. So um, dealing with, you know, with this platform crash or, you know, what was the um, infrastructure like on the side of our patient, and especially our patients in the more rural communities of Utah, the video visits sometimes didn't work as well, just because maybe their connections weren't as good. And we've done a lot in terms of our own buildings to improve infrastructure and bandwidth speed, and that's gotten a lot better. But like so many things with the pandemic, you know, we didn't know to prepare for it. So there was definitely a big adjustment. Uh, and so that would be a source of stress. How well is this visit going to go? Um, are we going to get cut off midway? Um, you know, and sometimes we'd be told, you know, throughout the first three to four months, we would, we switched platforms maybe about three times just based on finding ones that had even better security. You know, like for example, we don't use Zoom just because of the security issues, but we might find one that would, you know, cooperate better with the bandwidth we had or we thought was more secure. That was just, you know, a lot of change. And change, even if it's something you want to have happen, is a source of stress. Um, but certainly with all these changes going on in our personal and professional lives, that definitely, I think, increased the tendency of therapists to leave work just feeling more frazzled, maybe more frustrated, you know, probably not energized, which is, you know, how you feel at a good day at work in any profession. It's interesting to have you paint that picture again, because here we are, mm-hmm. right, moving forward into 2022, right. and it might feel like people are more used to dealing uh, with virtual videos and connections and meetings that are online as well. But if you do, if you, if you rewind back, it was a dramatic mm-hmm. and sudden change, and that, not, that affected every occupation. It affected every individual, and for those whose professional these therapists whose job it is to help connect and emotionally be able to help um, reflect and understand and give succor and support to those in need, it, it put on an additional load already. So really quite fascinating. I appreciate you uh, sharing that. I was thinking about with Intermountain Healthcare how they have the app called Connect Care. And that was rolled out, right, a number, I, I'm going to say four years ago or so as um, one of the first ways to even get um, health care uh, addressed virtually. 
through the tap of your phone or through your laptop. But that also became a portal for many people to reach somebody who could help them uh, reach uh, mental health support. So I'm assuming you were also seeing an increase in demand. Did that begin an increase in demand for um, for more mental health services during that same dramatic period of time of change? Not then. So, okay. So when I think about, you know, kind of this timeline of therapist burnout, an increase of demand of mental health services hadn't kicked in yet. And in some ways that was good because we had so many other things to deal with. And just one other thing to note about the virtual that some therapists really liked them because they felt like they could kind of see the the individual in their home, you know, kind of go back to that connection you were just talking about. But some didn't. Some felt like that wasn't a connection enough. But then when people would come in to see us in person, you know, we're wearing goggles and we're wearing masks. And so, you know, it's you're really only connecting um, just through the eyes, not as much facial expression. And so some felt like that was not, you know, as therapeutically beneficial to themselves or to the patient. So, uh, you know, the virtual visits and connecting versus in-person connecting, I think there was a lot of differing opinions on what works best. But either way, you know, I would say it was suboptimal, right? I mean, we do what we do to keep ourselves and everybody else safe, but probably what most people would have preferred was just kind of the same old thing we were doing in 2019. But back to Connect Care, we, you know, had started ramping up the idea of virtual visits pre-pandemic. And in fact, in the end of 2019, a colleague and I were actually getting trained on how to do them, and we were supposed to be starting to do them in 2020. So there was a foundation for that. But like I said earlier, it you know just wasn't created at the level to be serving so many people simultaneously, just going back to you know internet bandwidth. So we just didn't have that capacity quite yet. So we, I think we're in a good position considering that we had to go into a pandemic. But as I said earlier, I don't think any, any large hospital system probably didn't have, you know, all the internet connectivity they would need starting March 2020. But also, Rebecca, I wanted to go back to your point about the increase in demand. I personally noticed that in my caseload probably around the summer, maybe early fall of 2020. So I think, you know, in the beginning, it seemed to me that many patients um, were canceling appointments. And I imagine some of that's because they had kids at home they now had to help for, to help, help them with school. Um, I also was wondering if people just were in this kind of were shut down mentality, like we're just kind of getting through the day. We're not going to be going, you know, going anywhere, even doing things virtually. You know, I know some other people also just felt, you know, they would say that they're quote unquote zoomed out. They spend so much time in their meetings with work on Zoom now. They just didn't want to do one more virtual appointment, even if it was for their own self-care. But starting, you know, several months later, that's when I really saw the increase in demand. And, you know, that we knew was coming, that there would be this surge of patients. And I would say that's probably the major contributor to just the stress we have now is just, you know, nationally, we have done a fantastic job of normalizing behavioral health care and destigmatizing it and really encouraging people to get the help they need during a unprecedented time. Because even though I know we've had other pandemics throughout history, of course, each one is different. And um, if it was as, you know, if I think about the Spanish flu being you know the most recent one, I don't know if we had the data to say how global it was back then. But here we know, you know, we can log on to our news sources every day and see all the suffering nationally and internationally. 
So we know a lot more about the suffering that people are having, and that, of course, adds to people's own distress. So we've done a really good job saying, you know, get get help when you need it. But just like the infrastructure, you know, we couldn't we couldn't hire we didn't know to hire in advance of a pandemic. So the number of providers has stayed the same, but the demand has only increased. And so what I hear a lot from the therapists I work with is. You know, it's hard to take time off knowing that there are so many people just waiting to be seen a first time. Um, when there's a COVID exposure, say, to the provider or to, say, one of their loved ones at home and they have to isolate and cancel appointments, that's really painful um, to know that you have to cancel. And it is, you know, longer than optimal to see that patient again. Um, you know, I know some providers, when we first had got the opportunity to have the vaccines or the booster, they would deliberately schedule their shots on like a Thursday or Friday because they said, you know, if I have side effects that are so bad I have to call out of work, I have to be in bed, I don't want to have to call out of work for side effects. I don't want to have to displace patients for just side effects. So if it's going to ruin a day or two, I'll let it ruin the weekend so that I don't have to bump my patients. And that kind of goes back to where this job, which is a profession and a good one, is also a service where you really feel this um, you know, this need and this want to really be there for your patients, especially during this time. And yet these same factors that are causing your patients to need you more, you know, of course, affect you as well. And so and I, and I have found that patients have been very understanding when there's been a need for cancellation due to a provider's, you know, waiting for COVID results to come back because they had an exposure or perhaps their children's school is closed, which is happening, you know, this week with several uh, with at least two different districts, um, but it's still it adds to kind of this stress of how you know how am I gonna how am I gonna help these people who are coming to me for help and you know how do I juggle all of this? Mm. For those who've just joined us, a fascinating conversation, and I should say an empathetic and compassionate one as well with Dr. Denise Lash. She is the director of therapy for Intermountain Healthcare, and we're talking about therapist burnout and um, understanding the factors that influence them, the, what changed all of our lives in uh, the spring of uh, 2020, and then began to continue to change life as we know it uh, up until even 2022, and, and its effects on therapy. And also understanding that as a community, as a country, and as a world, we absolutely need to continue to prioritize our own mental health and to to go and, and look for services and get help, but also understand that our therapists uh, need to take care of themselves as well. And I, I would imagine, uh, Dr. Lash or Denise, that that there's some of uh, that balance. In other words, therapists are often saying to their patients, you need to take care of your needs in order to get through, right? These difficult times, the abrupt change, the isolation, um, the, the challenges that we have. But they feel, you mentioned they feel guilty about taking time off. Some do. And, you know, when I check in with a therapist, you know, I always really encourage them to take care of themselves and, you know, you get a certain amount of paid time off, as well, you know, especially if you're booking it way in advance and blocking those days, you're not bumping anybody. And please take that, you know, that, whole, that adage of putting on your own oxygen mask first. So really encouraging people to do that. You know, a bright spot in this is that, you know, we do know a lot about how to help people care for themselves. So I've been, and I've been really pleased to hear from a lot of the therapists that I, that I work with, you know, the things they do to take care of themselves. And you know, one benefit we have is we know firsthand, you know, the research and what the research says works. 
Um, you know, so most therapists I know have some sort of regular exercise routine. Many of them have a regular meditation practice. They can be very deliberate about their coping. Um, while, while some have felt badly about taking time off, I know others who have been who have realized that that's a really important component for them. And so they have been really deliberate about planning that out and making sure that whatever they're doing is restorative. So not just sitting at home, if that's sort of for them, if their thing is camping and getting out in the wilderness and getting off the news sources, and that's what they do. So really they think very carefully about, you know, what would be helpful and, you know, spending a lot of time with, you know, their own families and really trying to nurture those relationships. This idea of self-care actually comes back to another component that's been a bit of added stress, particularly in the vaccine, in the pre-vaccine part of the pandemic. Um, so one thing that has been a bit of a challenge is when, you know, the things that we see most um, from patients are depression and anxiety. And what we know for depression that tends to work best, what the research tells us, is something called behavioral activation, which simply means just doing things that you enjoy doing. Now, it, during the quarantine and, you know, really before vaccines are readily available, that was a complicated one for patients to execute because they might say, you know, I actually like exercising, but I have to do it in a gym because I have certain health conditions. You know, I can't really run or walk for great distances, but my gym is closed or my gym actually just opened up. But I'm not comfortable going. So, you know, or, you know, I used to love to volunteer and be here and be there, but those things aren't available to me now, or I don't feel like it's yet safe to do them. So that would be often a difficult point is, you know, helping patients maximize on what's left, what hasn't, what's not considered dangerous. Um, and obviously some of that has gotten easier since the vaccines have been available and since things have opened up. But, you know, that was a pretty effective tool we had in our toolbox that, you know, was not nearly as sharp of the tool during the early days of the pandemic. And then similarly with anxiety, um, a lot of times, you know, in normal times, people might come into our office and say, you know, I worry a lot. I worry about things I don't even have to worry about. And I know it's silly. I just kind of don't know how to turn it off. But then, you know, starting in March 2020 and through now, we have people coming in saying, you know, I'm really worried about getting the, pan getting the virus. I have a loved one who's immunocompromised. I'm afraid they might die. You know, we also had that earthquake in March of 2020, and I oh definitely saw a lot of yes. people. Oh, my goodness, yes. Yeah, I know. It's, it was it on tilt. like an eternity. So much. Yeah, and I definitely saw people coming in saying, I'm really worried about that earthquake. And I imagine they were more worried than they would have normally been just because it was already a time of heightened stress. And, you know, again, so those aren't necessarily illogical worries. So, you know, there's a few ways to treat anxiety. One of them can be trying to you know, challenge yourself with, you know, is this fear logical? And knowing what I know, what can I tell myself about this illogical fear? But, you know, at certain points in the pandemic, and depending on your health circumstances, saying, you know, I could die from this was not necessarily illogical. And, you know, it's true, living in um, the Wasatch Front, we never know when that next earthquake is coming. And so, you know, having to use some of our other tactics that help with anxiety to help with these real fears that many of us might have been experiencing ourselves. In fact, I remember one psychologist saying to me, you know, it's just really odd to be treating people for some of the same things that I'm going through. 
And but isn't that human? I mean, you know, and it, it just yeah. it, it just reveals that, that uh, you know, and of course, this is your specialty. This is for those who just join us. Dr. Denise Lash, she's a psychologist and she's the director of therapy for Intermountain Healthcare. As you talk about how, you know, many, many therapists were dealing with either anxiety and or depression uh, at the same time as providing treatment that the. the to me, the power that comes from therapy is that when you're someone who has studied it, you know what research-based activities we can engage in to help ourselves move forward. In other words, being human, we're going to endure these things, right? We're, we're mm-hmm. going to, there's a great chance in, at some point in our life that we'll have a serious depression. There is, you know, it's, it's very common. Anxiety is one of the top, or I don't want to say top, but one of the most popular mental health uh, issues that we, that we face. Uh, as and so yeah, it, is, it is one of the top, right? But but I guess and, I was going to say with a the therapist, it's interesting because even when you shared with us for depression, behavior activation, what do you love? Engage in what you love to help yourself heal. Anxiety, question your thoughts: are they logical or are they illogical? And then if they're logical, work on a plan to try to address how to manage that anxiety. That's powerful information um, that we learn from mental health experts. So I just wanted to say it's not something that most of us know, right, until we learn those skills from our therapist. Right. It's Yeah, it is something that a lot of us don't know. And then I think during the pandemic, it's probably, you know, it's been helpful for a lot of individuals to have somebody else to think more creatively. So especially earlier days, People being people saying, you know, I can't see my grandkids, and that is just so heartbreaking. And so, helping them develop creative ways of connecting. So, sure, um, video visits certainly, but also, you know, that kids loved mail, and so let's send them little drawings that you make for them. Let's send them little cards, and just finding other ways to connect, and then also normalizing some of what's going on. So there's, um, you know, every time we see a patient, we have, we keep a note, we write a note, and. Oftentimes, on a note, I'll have something like, you know, especially if it's anxiety related to a pandemic, you know, that this individual's anxiety is not atypical considering the circumstances, you know, or this person's depression might not be atypical. And then, you know, that's something I've used a lot in the pandemic, but it's certainly something I've used at other times, like say somebody has some depression related to their, you know, having an empty household or they're having an increase of anxiety due to increased work stress. So, yeah, that, you know, throughout a human lifespan of, say, you know, 75, 80 years, we can expect to have times when we're feeling better and times when we're feeling worse, and that we just want to be proactive about addressing those times when we're feeling worse. And maybe that we don't feel, you know, super good because it's a pandemic, and I don't know that any of us are going to be feeling great, but that we can at least normalize it some, we can at least neutralize it some, and try to still have meaning within what's overall, you know, kind of a globally hard time. I need to also uh, compliment, thank you, Dr. Lash, uh, Intermountain Healthcare's website, Mm intermountainhealthcare.org. You can click in on their blogs, and there there's a lot of information. Some of it does relate to managing emotional stress, uh, to managing depression, managing anxiety. Um, There's also, Intermountain Healthcare has also had opened up an emotional relief line. 
And my understanding is that phone number was not only open to the public, but for therapists and counselors, those who are in need, who just need to share in a safe space the concerns that they have at this time. So to me, again, um, being able to access and not not be so isolated in your fears and in, you know, and in your struggles, knowing that getting information, getting support um, is key to managing these difficult times. Yeah, I agree. I think Intermountain has done a really great job being proactive about trying to meet public demand, you know, anticipating that. Um, The Emotional Relief Hotline was wonderful. It's actually now changed to what's called the Behavioral Health Navigation Line. So trying to find behavioral health care, especially during the pandemic, and this is not just for Utah, this is throughout the nation, has been hard. Again, increased demand, but no increase in providers. So supply supply is the same and demand is up. But we had a hotline that is available for any member of the public, not just people who use Intermountain, to help to help them connect with therapists in their community. And I'll give you that phone number in a minute. But uh, what happens when you call is you ask a few screening they ask you a few screening questions to make sure you're getting the right level of care. They ask you your insurance, where you live, and they find some some therapists in the community who might be with Intermountain or who might not be. And that way you can call these other providers in the community, see if they have openings and see about getting yourself uh, hooked up with some care. And so that number is 833-442-2211. I've had several patients um, you know, in the primary care clinics where I work have a lot of good luck with that. So that that is also a resource for individuals. Well, and I appreciate our time. Um, Dr. Lash, before I, I let you go, how important is it for therapists to to get support and for them to understand that the burnout that they might be experiencing is is normal? You know, I think it's essential, and I would even broaden that to not just behavioral health care providers, but health care providers through, you know, at all levels. Um, we know that physician suicide has now been, physicians now are the occupation with the highest suicide rate. And there's a few reasons for that. One is they tend to have the know-how and the access to means. But there's also other reasons, you know, just increased demand, uh, medical residents leave their residency and start their first job with more medical debt than was true in the past, that they're working more. So we really want to start to notice, like, when are we dreading going to work? When are we apathetic to our patients? When is there just no joy in the in the day in our work? Because one thing about being in healthcare is, you know, like I said, it's a profession and a good one and a service. And although it's hard, there's often a lot of joy in just that direct contact in terms of improving patients' lives. So when you're not getting that, um, it is essential to reach out to somebody. And that could be a colleague. It could be to a hotline. It could be to a loved one, a religious member in your community. Um, You know, but just to start opening up and, you know, just acknowledging that, you know, as, as a human, we have ups and downs. You're in a down. And that's okay. And let's just try to, again, try to keep that from going too far down. So, you know, everybody has rough patches. We just don't want it to be a black hole. Mm. And, and I appreciate all of your efforts. Um, by the way, Dr. Lash, a psychologist and the director of therapy with Intermountain Healthcare, thank you for sharing the phone number of the Behavioral Health Navigation Line. It is free. And as you mentioned, it isn't just going to recommend you to Intermountain Healthcare, but to whoever might be available for you. So I'll repeat that phone number really quick as we close. That's 833 442 
2211-833-442-2211. Dr. Lash, thank you for joining us on this week's edition of Utah Weekly Forum. Well, thank you so much for your time and for giving some airtime to this issue. I really appreciate it. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.